Uh, welcome back to Unstandardized English. My name is Dr. JPB Gerald. I'm here to talk about the racially, linguistically, and neurologically minoritized. And uh, today I'm back with my friend Elise. We're going to talk about ADHD. We're going to talk about Mormons. We're just going to have fun. I don't have a lot to say. Um, thank you for supporting the show. Um, there's not going to be any solo episodes for a while, so, you know, I know those aren't super popular. Uh, and yeah. Um, news about me, I've, I've finished the manuscript of my second book. I'll be sending it out for uh, review with the people who I interviewed soon. And yeah, that's just a really, it was a hard book to write emotionally, but easy to get the words out. So anyway, hope you enjoy it when you get a chance to read it someday. All right, that was on to the discussion. far more painful than anything has ever needed to be, but... Speaking of that, I finished yeah. writing, writing the manuscript. Oof. Um, well, the end was fine. The end was positive. But now, yeah. I'm, now I'm rereading it. And you're, like, sad. Well, the middle part's the sad part. Yeah. The, the, the first several chapters, like, there's painful things in there, but they're pretty funny. Right? Because yeah. it's, it's stories like me refusing to type the right way when I was in third grade. I also I also fun. neglected my typing lessons. Yeah. There was this game. Um it was called Type. It's a very inventive name. Wow. Um and this is like nineteen ninety three, right? And so computers not great at the time. Uh-huh. Um but, but they knew enough to know we'd all need to know how to type. So they're mm-hmm. teaching us how to use a computer. And in this game, they would give you a little runner and mm-hmm. sentences. And, like, you were competing against, I don't know if you're competing against a computer or, or a classmate, I don't remember. Um, probably you could do both. And they give you a sentence, and the faster you type, the faster he would run. Yeah. But every mistake you made, you fall down. But I realized, like, if I just type really, really fast, it doesn't matter. As long as, long as I'm reasonably accurate, yeah. I'll still be so fast that even if I fall, I'll win. My teachers were so frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, this man is, this kid is not getting the point of this at all. <laughs> like, I thought you wanted me to win the game. <laughs> That's the point of this exercise, right, is to win games. I'm like, so do you want me to win? Because, like, I tried to do it the right way, but it's pain- painful for me to hold it in that way. I, yeah, I don't. I'm so bad at typing. It took me it took me literally working an office job for three years to type at any, like, reasonable speed. Because we played a very, like, an incredibly similar game. Um, And they tried to, of course, they were trying to teach us, like, from first grade to second grade, you know, like, as soon as we were old enough to use a computer by ourselves. And they'd be like, okay, so you have to do, like, at least 20 minutes of the typing game. And I'd be like, what do you mean I have to hold my hands in that position and, like, keep my two fingers on on, on those two keys? That sounds awful. I hate it. And so I would, like, I would, like, <laughs> do that, like, with two yeah, index hunt, fingers. Hunt That's how I type now. Yeah. I mean, I'm now just, I've, I, just I can really type. Fast. I can type a little bit more, like, quote, unquote, the correct way. But I... I did not learn how to do that. I'm so much faster at typing on my phone than I am, than I ever will be typing on a computer. I think, I mean, I've had a, I've had a computer long, much longer than I've had a phone, right? Yeah. So, like, I had a computer since, well, I don't know about my own computer. I've had access to a computer since, like, fifth, sixth grade. Yeah. Which was a big deal in, like, 1996. Um, you know, I used to use that dial-up, you know? No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I've heard, I've heard, I've seen many a BuzzFeed article where they're like, remember the dial-up noise? And I'm like, this is the seventh time I've seen this today. We have to wrap up the 90s nostalgia at some point, And we also have to stop pretending like it's just the 90s. Because as somebody who was born in 2002, I know what some of that was. It's not like, it's not like I've never seen a VHS. <laughs> like, you're not that special. I don't, it was, um, it's, it's a lot at this point. I remember, (laughs) um, 
the first time I had internet on my phone. It ended up running up my phone bill to an astronomical oh, shit, yeah. amount. Because I, I, I was using, like, AOL Instant Messenger on my phone. Right. That's hilarious because isn't that just, I mean, AOL Instant Messenger is texting. Why are we using AOL Instant Messenger when you could have just texted people? Because it was much, not everybody had a cell phone. I guess. And it was yeah. much, a bunch, I'm talking about in my college. Like, like almost everybody has a cell phone, but not everybody has a cell phone. And also, it was much less aggressive to ask for somebody's screen name. You know, male or female. I'm getting, I'm getting a nice otherwise. little window into culture that I will never fully understand. I guess it's like the equivalent of being on a dating app and giving somebody your Snapchat instead of their phone number. Yeah, or I mean, in a way, like... Asking for somebody's Instagram. Or yeah, just asking for somebody's email address. Like, it's not really all that personal, you just ignore it. That classic flirting move, asking for somebody's email. Right, but, you know, (laughs) well, because, like, um, it it still reads as, unless it's been clarified and everyone's statuses are clear, it still reads as potentially pretentious to ask for somebody's phone number, right? Unless you have a particular reason that's like, hey, unless you. Unless you're like, hey, I needed to send you this thing. Can you give me your phone number? Yeah. Right. Or like, yeah. oh, you took me a particular picture of me. Can you send Let me, me send it to you? Yeah. Right. You know, um, so these days it'll be like email if I just like, but because I was in college, you never had to ask somebody's email address. Everybody knows everybody's email address. It's yeah. the same like format. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody has like, you know, first it's... name, last, you know, so there's no asking for that. So it didn't feel special. You don't ask for somebody's email address. You gotta look in the directory. Mm-hmm. You can email anybody. Um, but but the screen name it was like in between, <laughs> you know. And then back when I used to use the free version of dating apps, they weren't apps, sorry, dating websites. Um, your Match.coms, your oh yeah, yeah, I use yeah. Match.com. Your Christian um, Mingles, your Farmers Only. <laughs> I. Uh, everybody who was also on the free version would you couldn't put like your AOL Instagram messenger name on there because they didn't want you doing that right they wanted you to pay for their messaging right you had to pay whatever to message people on the apps <laughs> websites and but people would write in their profile you could message me on the little yellow man and then put their screen <laughs> Oh, like it wouldn't, like when you were writing your bio, it physically would not let you type in the phrase AOL Instant Messenger? Right. That's kind of smart. I'm right. shocked I mean, that, I'm, I don't, that's I'm sure that you might have been able to get around it by saying like America but, Online, you know, but like. Yeah, you, there's ways to censor that kind of thing. Absolutely. Right. People have been getting around censors on the internet since the actual dawn of the internet. Um, and I would go on there and look and be like, I hope she wrote her screen name in there. Um, but, I hope that I hope that uh, what's an AOL screen name that somebody would have? Oh, I had some wild screen names. I've heard some very funny ones. Uh, the best one I had was no. The order was this. First, I just used my dad's, which is not really. It's just his email address. Yeah. Because your I'll screen name is your email address. But before Instant Messenger, your screen name was just your email address. Mm-hmm. Right. You could eventually get a screen name that was just a screen name, but that was like after you were born. So I'm talking about like the 90s now. Um, then when my dad was like, "Are right, you gonna have your separate email?" Yeah. Still his, still his computer though. Like it was just some variation of my name. It's like J Pierce 86 or something like that. Um, so that was my first personal email was J Pierce 86 at AOL.com. And then I said, "I'm tired of this." Lame. And um, everything had 2000 in it, you know? And for, and the subject that I wrote in the title was like ADHD and like emotionality and stuff like that. So this is tied into that. Is I was on the baseball team in eighth grade because they didn't uh-huh. have any cuts. So like everybody can be on a baseball team. <laughs> uh-huh. So I was on the bench. And for some reason that I fully do not understand, you know, do they have Mr. Softy out there? The ice cream? I, 
Yes, that is that is a term that I recognize. Probably not exactly Mr. Softy, but when you said that, I was like, okay, you're talking about soft serve ice cream. So right, yeah, and it's not close like enough. A, it's not really a New York thing per se, but it's very common here. Um, and it has a recognizable old timey theme song. It's like oh, that's yeah, yeah, that's it, right? And when you hear that, it's like here comes Mr. Softy, and I made this big sound. Just this weird sound. And I said, Mr. Softy in a really high pitched voice. And people laughed. And, you know, I didn't know how to make people laugh, but I'd been trying so hard. So that just sort of became my thing for like a while. Um, wasn't a great thing. Um, so anyway, my next screen was Mr. S 2000. Um, wow. <laughs> and then I really liked. The Ohio Players song, Love Roller Coaster. I know the Chili Peppers did it later, but it's all, it's an Ohio Players song, you know. Um, you know. You he know keeps saying he keeps saying, you know, like I should know. You know, Roller Coaster <laughs> of Love. It's just repeated. It's just that over and over again. It's a disco song. I can like, yeah, I can piece that together. <laughs> um, and I really like that song. Um, I still like that song. So then I changed my screen name to. El- L-U-V, Love Coaster XXX, and everybody thought I was a porn thought. Like, <laughs> Love Coaster XXX is actually the most porn bot name that I've ever heard of in my life. I feel like you should be DMing people that you're, that you're, that like, that like your pussy is out. Like, that's what that is indicating to me. That's so funny that you were just like, this is my cool new screen name, guys. And it just makes you sound like you're DMing people on Twitter being like, would you like to see me? And it's all like capitals and then lowercase. That's half the people who like my post now. It's just like, yeah, hmm. like a woman's name and then like every single number ever. And like a letter at the end where it's like Natalia 4832698. Like, yeah. Um. Then I changed it to the one that I had until I stopped using it, which was Impresario 86, which is just a word it liked. Um, yeah. Back to the I mean 86. A, I, mean a, I mean, a drastic improvement from Love Coaster XXX. I think right. we can all agree. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I just had email addresses after that, and, you know, yeah. phones. Um, and uh, the last I remember using AIM was when I moved to Korea. And I still use it still existed then. Nobody used AOL, but people still use AIM. It sort of mm-hmm. like separated itself from AOL, which is like a weird thing. It broke off from it, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. how Messenger is technically a separate thing from Facebook now. Right. I'm which like, is stupid, I, but yeah. I know, I, I know that that little circle is still still you, <laughs> Mr. Zuckerberg. Yeah. Your little blue circle. Okay. Um. So anyway, in, but then I moved to Korea, and then I met people from different parts of the world. And they all had different preferred messaging systems. Some people use something called ICQ. And then there was one called Pigeon. And Pigeon was the best one because you could sort of put all of your screen names together. Like you could message people. Interesting. Right. The same way that you could use WhatsApp for phone numbers. Yeah. Because I was going to say, that's kind of that's kind of now like the pinnacle of international communication at this point is WhatsApp. Right. Like if you're in Korea, people will ask you for your cacao talk. That's the new one. I think they also they also do use WhatsApp. Um, I say like I've ever been, but um, Cacao's not new. They had that when I yeah, was here. They do. I know that Cacao Talk is really popular, and then also like you also hear about like immigrant, large immigrant families using WhatsApp because everybody can use it, and there's like no international charges for texts and stuff. And you can send images a lot more easily. Cause I'm, my yeah. phone. This re- seems to restrict the size of the. I, I want to send videos of Ezel, and then it's like, would you like to trim this? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. I would I like want full to send the, the whole video. Yeah. Right, and then it'll send like three seconds. I'm like, well, that's not, that's not, not, not useful to me. Yeah, that's not a helpful um, video length. Uh, especially because I'm showing him talking and stuff. I'm gonna show him one word or something. Back when he was <laughs> just saying one word, you know three years ago but um so but like you think about because when i were reading through the manuscript and you know like i said the first several are just sort of things that we do that are probably 
the things that people would expect when talking about neurodivergence, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, um, you know, talking too much in the class, that sort of thing, right? I'm reframing it. I'm not saying it negatively, but these are not just, but then it gets into sort of the more emotional side of it. And then it sort of comes all the way back around to like what we're like great at. And um, in a way, it sort of feels like, I don't know, it's kind of like a plot of a book or something. I mean, it is a book. Yeah. But <laughs> like the plot of a fiction book. Right. Yeah. Or a nonfiction book, which is what yeah. it is. But like, you know, like, cause those have, well, plot, structure, yeah. those are kind right. of the same concepts. You know, because one of the things I wonder is like, you know, I, I get nervous that, you know, because I'm very clear at the very, at the very beginning that I'm not a K-12 teacher currently. I once was, but I haven't been for a while. And I knew, I know that that audience is much bigger than academia. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, academia is a larger audience. It's just nobody buys those books. <laughs> like, there's a lot of people in academia. Like, but everyone in academia sticks to their own little specialties. Yeah. And, you know, if I, if you try to convince an academic, like, why don't you read this book that's about something related to your specialty? But like, no. I gave, I haven't read a book outside of my, like, yeah, they'll be like, I haven't read a book about anything else for 12 years I don't know what you're talking about right which is interesting because I've always been different in that sense like obviously a lot of the books I read about education broadly okay um but I never wanted to stick to just reading about what I do she couldn't hear you I have my phone uh, on but uh, yeah you know what I just did what Ezel does every time he comes on my work calls and like I have my headphones on. Yeah. Which is funny. Um so what was I saying? About I have no idea. Um <laughs> I really have no idea what I was saying. Do you remember what I was saying? What kind of question is that? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's Nope. I gotta, I gotta trace the steps, right? Mm-hmm. I gotta trace it. I was talking about Ezel and the pictures. I'm like way back now. And yeah, I think you've, you've skipped several talking then, points. And then I went to, um. Academics and how you academic, do this all day. Different, <laughs> yeah. There we see, go. See, we yeah. got there. We got back there. Listeners, see, this is how you figure things out. Um. Have you have you recorded the intro yet? Or is no, this I did just that. Gonna... I did that. No, I did that yesterday. Okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut out the, the very beginning of this when you're with your, you know, <laughs> with my tactic, stuff. with my technical difficulties. Yeah. But no, most of it. I mean, I'll probably cut your mom out, but otherwise, I think I'm gonna leave most of it in. Um, is see, but now you screwed it up again. So <laughs> I don't remember Ding. what I was saying. <laughs> Okay. So, academics and books. Right. Uh-huh. Here we go. It's a challenge to get academics to read outside of their discipline. Probably for career reasons, because they have to keep up with everything in a discipline. And every discipline has like five to six journals in it. So, it's supposed to keep up, keep up, keep up, keep up. What I was saying before, okay, was that I was at my last job and my boss, who I, I don't want to say I didn't get along with her, but we didn't have a great supervisor, supervisee relationship. I like her now that she's not my boss and I liked her before she was my boss, <laughs> but having her as my boss is why I eventually got my diagnosis. Like I've told you some of this, but like sp- the specific things that she was mad at me at mad at me for were all neurodivergent traits or ADHD specifically, but in the book I'm referring to them more broadly, right? <clears throat> yes. And, you know, it, it, if, it, if it had just been her being mad at me for those traits, I wouldn't have necessarily gotten the evaluation, right? 
Yeah. But because it had happened before, right? A lot of those organization and, you know, taking notes, that sort of thing. Like, I can't take notes. Um, if you want me to talk, I can take notes if I don't have to talk. And the subject is really interesting. They're not going to be extensive, but I'll give you some bullet points. Um, but uh, at previous job, I had, like, sensory things would come up, right? I worked in this one fucking room with, <laughs> this is going to sound like, like, it's going to sound gender. They just happen to all be women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they all really like to blast the freaking AC. The AC, not the heat. Right. Interesting. Defying gender stereotypes today, I see. Right. And like, and I was like, it's really cold in here. They're like, well, you could bring a sweater. And I'm like, (laughs) I guess I could. And I wonder if because of those gender stereotypes, they're they're probably saying like, well, I've been told to bring a sweater before, so whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand that, but in the moment, I'm just like, I'm really cold, and 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 this one thing, they would do this all year, like it's like January in their place in the AC. Maybe, you know, I'm just like, at one point, I just sort of yelled like, it's 35 degrees. <clears throat> However, can I can I ask a clarifying question about the? average age of this group of women they there was one who was older but the others were all a like i when i got the job was 26 and they were all the same age as each other except for the one and they were all in their early 30s Okay, that only increases my mystery as to why a group of women is blasting the AC. Because if you said that they were all in their late 40s or 50s, I'm like, that would add up. Well, I think what I wonder is if the older one was dictating it, even though she wasn't, like, superior in stature. I guess they just sort of did what she wanted. Um, Mm -hmm. But well, that was a a weird thing. If there's one thing women will fight about, it's being cold. That's the one thing that they will go to bat for. <laughs> like, Yeah, so but the point is, that, you know, sensory things would. I didn't realize I was having sensory issues. I, was, I thought I was cold. I mean, obviously, that's a sensory issue. But like, yeah. I didn't realize it was a sensory sensitivity. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember. I'm actually really one of the things where I did my best at that job was. So I worked sort of had two jobs within the job. I had one title, but I was in charge of two things. Because at nonprofits you just sort of do a lot of stuff until you get to be a higher up and then you you may have a lot of roles, but you you have one job. Right? Yeah. Like I do. I have one job. No. Um this is still one job, but like I split my time between two locations basically. On the same block. Um they had a main building in a senior center. Three days a week, be in the main building. I was in charge of the English classes. And two days a week, be in the senior center. I was in charge of the computer classes for the seniors. Even though the computer classes were actually in the main building. Which means that, really, being the senior center was just dealing with the seniors. Yeah. <laughs> like, your main job in the senior center is to just deal with the seniors. Like, yeah. if I was just, I thought I was going to be running the computer classes, but they just needed a body. Right? No. Um, You're a babysitter, is what you what you are. I liked some of them. I liked like some some of them I really really liked, and some of them were terrible. Like any group of people, um, I got lucky because they said they once they had interviewed me a few times. They're like, "Look, we know you'll do a good job with the English part. I mean, you just got your master's in that, but you haven't really worked directly with seniors before, so we'd like you to come and just sort of hang out, see how it goes for an afternoon." And I needed the job, but I was like, "Okay." So I came, and I got lucky. I played Scrabble with this lady. (laughs) And, like, I was sitting there with her for, like, an hour and a half um, until the the people who would have been my supervisors were like, oh, he's he's still playing with her? I was like, I was just having fun playing Scrabble with this lady. I got lucky because it could have been, like, a terrible one. Yeah. I just went there and played Scrabble. And then, like, I would get really upset 
which is again a neurodivergent thing when like my schedule would get thrown off and like i really loved every week for the four years i worked there i made trivia questions for the for like three seniors (laughs) it wasn't supposed to be three but only three of them showed up yeah. It was just me and them. And like Wednesday at 2.30, I remember I was doing something elsewhere in the city. I rushed back. And they said, you got to do this today. I said, can I get back for trivia? And I would feel really bad when the trivia wouldn't happen. And they would feel bad, too. And like other things, people would suck. Nobody wanted to read my damn questions because I'm, I'm writing, printing out these questions, giving them to you. Know? Um and, you know, working with them, they'll taught me a lot about teaching and education. Um, and a lot of them were in pretty bad ways. They didn't live there. This wasn't a home. Um, like, it's open from, like, 8 to 6. You know? um, mm-hmm. They would get meals. But, like, they didn't live there. And a lot of them were in a really bad way. You know, they really needed because these are free meals. Um, but they're provided by the city. Um and, you know, like grants and stuff like that. And, but anyway, the point is, my colleagues, I work in the senior center. And I was really good in a crisis. It's one thing I learned is that, like, things are really, really tense. Like, if things are up here, I can meet you up here. If things are down here, I might still be up here. <laughs> I'm just prepared for everything to go completely wrong at all times. Right. You know, yeah. I direct my anxiety. So what it would be is like, I'm, I'm like, when things are going haywire, I'm just relaxed. Or I seem relaxed because everything's going haywire. I'm not relaxed. I'm never relaxed. But I don't seem as out of whack. So like every Saturday, because I work Tuesday to Saturday, every Saturday I would have to get to work. And I was at work from 730 to 3.30, which... Not ideal when I used to go out as much as I did, but I couldn't really do that on Fridays anymore. But that's also when I started running. So it sort of worked out because I would just not go out on Fridays, which was terrible when I was just like single and sitting around. I was like, I'm just saying, just in my house on a Friday. Now I'm always in my house on a Friday, but (laughs) you know, for different reasons. Anyway, I'd be sitting around and then the chaos was lunch on Saturdays. Just chaos. You could start signing up for lunch as soon as breakfast was over at nine o'clock. So people would eat breakfast and they'd go right to the front, sign up for lunch, get a ticket. Lunch would start. And they, they could sit wherever they want. And then they would you call people up and say, all right, these numbers, come get your food, right? These numbers, come. And they were random numbers, right? So they couldn't, like, the first person to get there at 9 o'clock and just sit there because they would do that, could do that, right? But then we, they, the chef, because we were cooking this food there, right? The chef would say, I've got this many meals, usually like, usually like 120. Yeah. And the numbers, numbers would start to get there. <laughs> and you know you'd have 111 people. Right? Not a lot of wiggle room. <laughs> right. And then you would get there. And so I'm out there. I'm going in with the chef, and I'm like, how many more do you have? And I'm running out here yeah. doing all this, right? And the worst thing that would happen is that, like, the shifts were 7.30 to 3.30, 10 to 6, and 12 to 8. But – and there were supposed to be two people at 7.30 because that was hard to open. The older person, I say older, she wasn't old, she was older than us. She would often call me at like 7.23 and be like, not going to be able to make it today. And I'm like, oh. Um, <laughs> um, but honestly, I felt more in control of things when I was there by myself. Right? And also, then nobody could tell me what to do. So, um, and then you know, I would, and then the 12 o'clock person would come when they were, she was really close friends if the older person was there. And then she would come at like 1140, 12, her shift started at 12. They just go to lunch. 
It's just me and the seniors. <laughs> you and Blanche just <laughs> having a, doing trivia in the middle of a lunch rush. Like 45 minutes, right? But I would handle it. And as soon as everybody got their food, and we would have vol- the volunteers. I have to organize. There's volunteers coming to serve these meals too. Mm-hmm. I'd organize volunteers. I didn't bring. I didn't bring the volunteers in, but I'd show up and they say, "Hey, I'm here to volunteer." We'd have volunteers manning the phones on the front desk. It's all volunteers, and you got to organize this. That you got to make sure you're looking at the activities. You got to type things into the screen to make sure that the activities are right. But I handled this. But then, as soon as lunch was over and the two of them were back. I would just go to the main building where I had another desk and just sit in the dark <laughs> and eat my lunch by myself and be like, leave me alone and turn my phone off. Um, but I, I really was good at that. And then my supervisor said, we need to get you off Saturdays because like you're not, your skills aren't really being used to their full ability, which was true. But on the other hand, I was good at it. Um, she's like, but we didn't hire you to be lunch man. <laughs> <She's just funny. laughs> because at a certain point, I didn't even, it used to be two days. I only worked there. On, like I worked in the office Tuesday to Friday and I only worked the scene center on Saturday. So it was just me doing this lunch thing every Saturday. Um, and, you know, like I said, I was good at it, but, you know, it was a skill set that I uh, I, you know it taught me a lot and in retrospect it's one of the ways where I see how the neurodivergent traits helped me back in some ways because you know I would definitely get overly emotionally invested in certain things and, um, and I would get you know, I had an itchy trigger finger on emails that I shouldn't have sent. Um, because I get really frustrated about things. Like, I was running a program that was free. The English classes. People don't show up to class. Now that happens. That would be disappointing, but it didn't really, you expect that. But like, I had to individually enroll everybody which means that there was like a two-week period where I would have between 45 and 60 individual appointments. And people would just not show up to the appointments. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) But I was supposed to circle back and say, okay, you missed your appointment. I have another appointment at this time, right? Just a one-man show until we did hire somebody to help with things. I still had to do all the enrollment and the, you know, entrance. It's like an oral test. I had to do the exit test, just same test, terrible test. Um, but at least some things came off my plate. And I'm getting to that point in my current job. I'm not nearly in as bad of a situation, but I always end up doing more than I'm supposed to be doing, not in this case, it's because I'm cha- taking stuff on on purpose because I'm I'm good at it and they like me. Not because they're just understaffing, but I've now done things well enough that I've created so many projects that now I need help. <laughs> so it's funny how these things happen. It's I don't know I got really lucky emotionally at my current job because I never I only had one moment where emotion my emotions got the best of me at my current job. And I didn't take them out on my colleagues, which is good. But one of the people in one of the classes I lead, same class I'm leading tomorrow, actually, wrote a negative comment on one of our surveys. I know she was talking about me, and I know who it was. Um, and it just hit a lot of trigger points, because what she was saying, she was talking about disorganization and stuff like that, which at that time was true, but it wasn't my fault, because the organization was disorganized, but I was the face of the class. And, um, you know, 
it was it just hit sore spots I guess and I don't know if those will ever really go away I've worked on a lot of those things and put a lot of it into the book you know but it's like every so often I just like run into a door not literally I mean yes literally but I'm not talking about literally <laughs> and then all of a sudden it hurts again so if you want to know if it'll ever go away <laughs> I don't know about that I mean, I mean, like, for the longest time, I just thought my sensitivity was part of my personality, which, I mean, it is. Like, I don't want to make any, like, I don't even know, like, how, what word I would use to describe it. I don't want to say anything about ADHD somehow being, like, a completely separate part of me, because that's, like, not true. It's a part of me, and it it is my personality and it has shaped my personality, but I just thought like that it was an unusual facet of my personality that like other people my age didn't act like that or didn't react like that to things. Um, and of course I was just like, well, I'm irrevocably damaged. Clearly it's my fault. Um, and just like assumed that it wasn't just a personality trait or just a trait. I'd assumed it was a flaw like, an inherent problem that I just needed to, like, get over and suck up, um, which, I mean, I think is true for a lot of things that are ADHD traits that are viewed as, you know, inherently bad or inconvenient or, like, disruptive to other people. Like, I remember, and I think this is the only time I was ever, like, I was, like, told to, like, get off my phone once I started being, like, once it started being very, very difficult for me to focus in class, which hit around, like, my junior year of high school, because I think that's when the intersection of, like, my other mental health problems had, had, had emerged at that point. And the, the ease that schoolwork had previously, like, had for me had kind of gone away in some aspects. So I was at a point where I was like, I don't feel like I'm good enough at this. And I'm struggling in other ways. So, like, my ability to focus crumbled, essentially. Like, it fell away. And um, aside from that, like, the only time I think I've ever been, like, outwardly chastised for a thing that is definitely an ADHD thing was I had this Spanish teacher who was kind of a weird lady, to be honest. And she passed out these papers that I think were for, for some, like, aspect of our Spanish test because they would be, like, listening portions, writing portions, speaking portions, like a multiple te- multiple choice. And before she said anything, like gave us instructions, I doodled a little bit on the, like the very bottom corner, which if anybody knows me, like if you hand me a piece of paper and don't explicitly tell me not to draw on it, it's getting drawn on. I don't know what to tell you, but I doodled a little bit. And then I wrote whatever part of the test was supposed to be on the paper and I remember she passed it back to me and she wrote in the corner papeles limpias which means clean papers and I was like this bitch <laughs> I was like who cares if I draw on my paper if it means that if I if I write the answer down and it was just and she hadn't said anything about like don't draw on them and it was just one of those things that like got under my skin and I already didn't like her for other reasons but I was like Papelis Limpias like it's not like it was just one of those things that was like so silly and so like inconsequential because who did that affect other than her maybe arguably just having to see it like so many things about ADHD are framed as being this incredible nuisance, but they're only really a nuisance to, like, respectability politics or, like, a perception of what is considered, like, good or bad. And that one, that one pissed me off. I remember being mad when she, she passed that back to me. Yeah. Because I obviously have terrible handwriting. So, for similar reasons, because... They try to teach me how to trace the letters and I didn't want to do it. So <laughs> like I'm like, I wrote the letter. 
Why not to do it like that? Um, it was when I was like five. They're like, kid, can you just do this? Um, because <laughs> sometimes I can see like it would be genuinely frustrating. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, like, I'm not gonna do that. I did it right. You, yeah, I got it right. Um, and and like they look at they're like, you, I know you understand. Just do the thing. And I'm like, but why? Right. Because my son gets that way already. I don't know that he's necessarily a version. He might just be three, but he could be. He, you know, he's not in a sort of spectrum sense of like, or with eye contact or anything like that, right? I mean, I have that issue too, but it didn't really develop for me until later. Um, in fact, more accurately, I was just always masking with the eye contact. And I didn't even realize yeah. I had a prob- problem with eye contact. Yeah. And what I learned was that I was always drifting off in thought because I was concentrating on locking eyes because I'm supposed to. And if I'm concentrating on locking eyes, well, then the rest of my focus. Because <laughs> I can physically just like stand there <laughs> for however long. And, and like, I'll do it if it's necessary, like, you know, like in a job interview, like, that's what you got to do. Right, but usually job interviews is more than one person. So, thanks. If I got, if I got two, three people, go from person to person. That's what I do, and it's part of the reason why I'm a good teacher. Fifteen people in front of me, I look at everybody, and then everybody thinks I'm making personal eye contact with them. But what I'm really doing is looking at nobody. <laughs> That's the secret. I'm never looking at you. Right. Um, or am I always looking at you? And because I always, I make eye contact for always either too long or too short, right? It's never just not, right? Because then if I, if I like am not focused, my eyes might drift towards somebody and then they're like, why are you staring at me? And I don't yeah. even, I don't even realize I'm looking at them. <laughs> yeah. You know, like human eyes still do drift towards other creatures. So, like, if I'm not paying attention, my brain might just go, like, there's a person. <laughs> um, and when I learned that about myself, I was like, I don't want to creep people out, especially as I got to be an adult. I'm like, all right. But then, like, do you know how hard it is to just not look at somebody? <laughs> You're like, oh, no, better not stare. I was like, okay, don't. Don't stare. Don't stare. Right? Well, then you might succeed at not staring, but now you look ridiculous. Because <laughs> you have like that mental timer in your head of like, how long have I looked at this person, and has it gotten weird yet? Where do I look now? Do I look down? Do I look up? Is there another person I can look at? Is there an object that's appropriate for me to look at at this point? And so you just look like a crazy person because you're going like, uh huh, and then you're like, you're like darting back and forth because you're trying to think like, what is the perfect method of looking like a normal person in this situation yeah so these days i really like if i'm like like friday i have a work lunch thing but it's a lot of people so again i can look around but when it's like one person i prefer to like sit at the bar and i can i can just stare straight ahead I have had many conversations with people where I am sitting par- like per- parallel to them and I'm looking at something else the entire time and I will not look up just because that's – and I do think it makes people assume that I'm – I and the more that I think about it, the more that this might have contributed to people thinking I was intimidating for some reason. I think really what it is is that I'm just awkward and I have ADHD and so people are like, I don't know, like she's scary and I'm just like – I've been looking at this person for too long. I have to look away or they're going to think I'm, I'm like insane. And they're just like, man, I don't, I'm really worried to like talk to her. I don't know how she's going to be, which I, I mean, I still don't fully understand it, but like it's such a universal thing that I, there has to be some reason at this point. Like it's on an isolated instance, you know, and you've described that as yeah. well. So it's just for me. You know, well, if I'm doing something or talking about something I'm really interested in, then it's not as big of a deal, right? 
then I get into it and I will stare at you. <laughs> I'll like tell you everything about that thing. Right. But on the other hand, when that's not happening and I'm not at full attention, I can see how someone might interpret that as in like, he does not care <laughs> about what's going on here. And the truth is, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do. And how much eye contact I'm making, like beyond the 100% or really like 500% focus. Obviously, if I'm at that level is a whole other thing. But below that level, how much I'm looking has no correlation to how much I'm paying attention, right? And that's hard for people to get. And when I tell people from, like, high school this about me, I'm surprised because, well, I did so well on tests, you know, and I did. But, like, so much of that is long-term memory and pattern recognition. And that's the stuff I've always been able to do. I don't have to try to do that, you know? I used, my mom used to call me up through like when smartphones became really easy to use just to ask me which train she should take, even when I was in Korea. <laughs> like, because I still remember. I'm like, well, you should do this, you know, the way some people know driving directions. Now, I don't, I, like when it's like, it's going to be like really cold this weekend. And I usually just take my son on a subway ride. We're just talking about like, well, we could take this train to this train to this train to this train to this train. And like, I know exactly how many stops it's going to be. You know, sometimes I got to look now. I'm getting older now. But like, <laughs> um, you know, it's just the stuff that stuff stays in my brain forever. And what I was writing about in the book is that the sort of contradiction between how easy we make things look sometimes and how we sometimes just can't do anything. And if you're a teacher, you're just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> like, I just saw you do that. Why can't you yeah. do this thing? Yeah. Oh, God. Like, I remember, and also that reminds me, there's this tweet that's like, it's a quote tweet of another tweet. Somebody's like, nobody talks about how hard costumes are for the ADHD community. And the quote tweet is like, you people can't do anything. And it's like, I don't know how to tell you that's kind of the point. But um, I remember constantly, especially in elementary school for some reason it was always like she has so much potential right that's always how it was framed like potential she has so much potential like she's so good at doing all of these things and then math was always like my downfall like that was the place where I struggled and of course because everything else came so easily to me the moment I struggled I was like well I will be shutting down completely and like in those moments it was always like you're so smart like you can totally do this what do you mean and it's like you don't understand like I can't do this and that was never like fully understood and what's really strange is that like in a retrospect especially socially it makes a lot of sense but I was neurodivergent and also like I also I only recently learned this I don't know how I only recently learned this but I was almost definitely hyperlexic as a child um like I probably learned how to read starting when I was two or three apparent allegedly like obviously I don't remember but I was told stories about like me recognizing words and reading words off of newspapers when I was really young and I was reading the Harry Potter books when I was in kindergarten and I had special permission to get them from the library. And I remember the way it's told to me is that my dad was reading the first book to me and my brother and he only read like the first chapter. And I was like, absolutely not. Like, I will not be waiting for next week or whenever you're going to read this. And I, and I took the book and I read the whole thing. And my mom, of course, me being five years old, she's like, there's no way you read this book. Like, I, I don't believe you. They're, like, this is a book for 10 or 11 year olds. You did not read this. And she's like, okay, well, wait, if you did read this, then what does Harry need to go to Hogwarts? Like, what's his shopping list? And I read the whole thing off, like, from memory. And she's like, oh, so you did read this. And I, and I ended up having like a Harry Potter themed sixth birthday and like, and nobody, for some reason, except, like, my childhood best friend's mom, 
who one time was like, do you have ADHD? And I said, no, because nobody had ever asked me that before. Like even kind of put together that there was something, I don't want to say wrong, but quote unquote wrong, because most of my neurodivergent traits at that time were seen as like outwardly positive. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Is when things got more academic and school got more rigid, these social structures especially got more codified is when I couldn't, you know, I was a great little five-year-old, basically. Same mm-hmm. thing. And I had to go in a second, but my my mom did not want to see the original Ninja Turtles movie, which won this year, but the first one came out in 1990. And I was a huge Ninja Turtles kid. It's funny that that's... T- um, and... I'd seen the ad on the TV, right? I said, like, I want to go see the movie. She's like, oh, Justin, it's not playing anywhere close to us. And she tells me, and I came to her with the newspaper, said, it's playing at the, whatever the name of the cinema was, tomorrow. <laughs> She's like, what? How could he possibly? <laughs> like, I just, I had read the Times off thing, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, like the other day, my son was looking at a digital clock and he's like, 640, which is exactly what it said. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> it's too late. Anyway, uh, I thank you for being here. We'll do more of this, like I said. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's kind of like an oops all banter episode, but we got it the t- with subject with the ADHD emotionality. I think that. I do get tired of the entire, like, because we've been treated the way we've been treated and under supported, I get why our sort of yearning for support takes over our social media. But on the other hand, I wish that the story was more fun.